Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, hosted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing author and illustrator Elizabeth Lilly. And we're going to be talking about her latest picture book, Let Me Fix You a Plate, A Tale of Two Kitchens. Uh, We're also going to be talking about her own favorite picture book, Angelina Ballerina, which was written by Catherine Holabird and illustrated by Helen Craig. Uh, But first, before we get to that, I want to share a brief conversation I had with Judy Newman. Uh, She's president of Scholastic Book Clubs, and we're going to talk a little bit about Scholastic Book Clubs' new program, The United States of Readers. Today I am speaking with Judy Newman. Uh, She's president of the Scholastic Book Clubs, and we're going to be talking about Scholastic Book Club's new program, The United States of Readers. Uh, Thank you for joining me today, Judy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Let's start with some basic information. What is The United States of Readers? So The United States of Readers is just like Scholastic Book Clubs, which you may remember getting those flyers when you were a kid and circling the books you wanted and having them arrive in the classroom. So it's really that model, um, but it's fully funded. And so kids who can't afford access to those regular book club flyers now are able to do that. So it's a fully funded model, and it's going to very high Title I schools with low reading scores. And how did it all get started, this program? So we've been, you know, running book clubs for many, many years. And over the past, you know, several years, teachers have been telling us increasingly that their students have been unable to afford books and that they, the teachers, were shouldering the responsibility for buying books for their for their kiddos, either through their own money or, you know, saving bonus points. And we just realized that was not sustainable. So for many years, we've had a partnership with James Patterson. He is a huge bestselling author and philanthropist and literacy advocate. And um, he agreed to be the funder for this program in its pilot year. And he gave us a grant of $1.5 million uh, to get us started in this first year. And basically, how does the program work? So we find schools, as I said, high Title I, very poor schools with low reading scores. And we put them through a screening test and a process. And then we mail in boxes of flyers, just like the regular program, Uh, full colorful flyers with brand new books, lots of diversity, a great selection. And the kids choose two books for free. There's no prices on the flyers. So there's no sense of, you know, I can't afford this or this is too expensive. Um, And then the teachers submit the orders on behalf of the class and every kid in the class. And then every kid in the school gets the books. And our first shipment is on its way today. So we're super excited about that. This will happen five times a year. So this is our first of five series. So by the end of the year, each child will have 10 books that they have chosen that they want to read for their very own. And is it, and after this year, I guess the hope is that it might continue on after that. Yeah, we're planning on turning it into a nonprofit organization to partner with Scholastic. Um, and we're going to be going out to states and foundations to fund it. And, and hopefully James Patterson will continue as well. So we're excited. Our goal is in five years to reach 2 million kids um, with really high need and who have no books at home. 
And why? What is it about? I, I, I think we, we both understand the importance of literacy, but can you just explain about why literacy is so important? Not just in getting the kids read books, but literacy and just an important part of a child's life. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I was so obsessed with this question that I this year just decided to go back and get a master's of education degree because I really wanted to understand that from the educator's point of view as well. So it's very important. Uh, for kids to build fluency, to have vocabulary, to be able to express themselves and be understood, you know, uh, to be part of our democracy. Also, they see themselves reflected in stories. They learn about the world around them. And if they don't have books, you know, it's another source of inequity, which is not okay because they're just left out of the conversation. They fall further and further behind and not only they can't read, but they can't participate in sort of regular citizen race. Uh, someone listening to this thinking, this sounds like a great idea. I'd like to get my school involved. Uh, what would they do to find out if, if they can participate and what they can do to, uh, to join in? Yeah, well, we have a website, scholastic.com slash United States of Readers, and that's a good place to start and get a sense of the program. Um, and there's a place where they can indicate interest, and uh, we'll be following up. So we're, we're happy to get that in- interest that way. Well, uh, Judy, um, you know, literacy is something that's very important to, to me. And I know to I just I think all of us who are involved uh, with kids books in one way or another that we understand that we, we want to entertain. But it's just a, it's even beyond that. The literacy is just an important part, like I said, of a child's life. So thank you so much for uh, talking about this program. And I, I really wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest, and I'll keep you posted. <laughs> Thank you so much. My guest today is Elizabeth Lilly. Elizabeth is author and illustrator of the picture book Geraldine, and her latest picture book is Let Me Fix You a Plate, A Tale of Two Kitchens. You can find Elizabeth's website at www.elizabeth-lilly.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting, and I'm I'm really just jazzed to get into book talking today. As I mentioned, your latest picture book, uh, Let Me Fix You a, Fix You a Plate of Tale of Two Kitchens. Can you talk a little bit of what this book is about? Yeah, um, this book is a journey, like a road trip book that chronicles my family going from our house in the city to my my father's parents' house, my paternal grandparents in West Virginia, and eating and, and um, spending time there, and then getting in the car and driving to my mother's parents' house, my abuela and abuelo, in Florida, and spending time there and going home. And it's kind of about the different cultures of my family. My dad is white, American, and Southern. And my mom is from Colombia and grew up in in Puerto Rico and New York. So it's kind of a love letter to those places and that food and like what it's like to have like a blended culture in your family. And what was the uh, the inspiration for writing this book and thinking specifically about focusing on meals and how and sh- the sharing of meals and and focusing on that what what made you think this would be a, a great picture book I wrote the manuscript as a poem years ago before I even really got into picture books and it just kind of spilled out of me one day 
I feel like when I was really young, I was very shy and had a hard time, like, talking to anyone. And especially when I went to my grandparents' houses, like, they kind of spoke different languages than me. I mean, my mama, my my grandma on my dad's side, like, she spoke English, but she had this, like, really heavy, like, Appalachian accent that I didn't even always understand. And then my mama, my abuela and abuelo spoke Spanish. So the way that we would really communicate was through food and through, that's kind of how they showed their love for me, even if we didn't always know how to connect through words. So it just was like a natural kind of thing to center the the book about family, center it around meals and food. I think that's a, a, a common thing with people when they share important events or they want to make people feel welcome. It always usually seems to be through food that uh, people communicate, I suppose, that something special is going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm just curious, too, your process for, because you illustrated this book as well, and uh, what is your process for um, writing and illustrating? And I've, I've asked this a few people do uh, both of those things. Uh, you said you, you, you had the text first, so was it sort of getting the text right and then illustrating it, or was it as you're working on it and putting things in, then that would modify the text and sort of a back and forth? Or what? what is your own particular process, I suppose? I, it depends a lot. It varies by the project. I think this project was actually really unusual that I had the whole text written. And then it didn't change almost at all, just a couple of words here and there as a book went on. Um, but usually it's much more like back and forth. And I really like that. I can write out a manuscript, but then as I'm drawing, I end up taking out a lot of it because I realize I can show those things in the illustrations. Or vice versa, I'll often start with something that I've drawn or like a character in my sketchbook kind of shows up and then I want to figure out what their story is and what kind of what they want to say. Sometimes I'll start drawing a character without really knowing why and like there's just something there's like a spark behind the eyes of the character that I'm like you have a story to tell so then I kind of write um around that so it it really depends and I I feel like I I do both but I'm very comfortable with writing and I love writing so um they're both like almost equal kind of sources of inspiration and since this story is drawing but very much on your own experience I'm curious when you're creating characters do you draw upon people you know but then modify them to sort of uh, fit the you know the ideas you have in the book or or how does that particular for for creating you know faces and and people and and, and filling up rooms with people yeah i think for this book it was a big challenge um it was the first book project that i've worked on that is all about human characters my first book was like an anthropomorphic animal that was the main character and I used to mostly draw animal characters but this book was about a very specific human story so I kind of didn't have that option I just had to double down on like okay people drawing a lot of people drawing now and I was like so terrified um, especially because it a lot of it is my own family members so I kind of had to like get them right like it, it felt like a lot of pressure but I actually I think I I draw on my observations of people all the time. So when I actually got to 
the work process, it wasn't as big of a leap as I had thought because when I draw, I'm always thinking of my own observations of like people's personalities and the way that they pose, the way they stand and the way that they express their whole selves through their body language. So that was actually really fun once I got past the like terrified stage to to get into that and give each of these like many characters like their own visual like personality. And I say I, I didn't say in the beginning, but I did have a chance to read this book and I enjoyed it very much. And they are very vivid pictures. Is there something in particular that's that's particularly challenging about uh, drawing people as opposed to, um, you know, like you said, animal characters or do they each have their own particular challenges? Yeah, um, I think when you're drawing people, there's like the first kind of like thing to get your your pencil around or whatever as an artist is like the whole anatomy and physiology aspect of like it has to look right even if it's like a cartoonish style it can't look off so that is intimidating as an artist to be like okay well this arm is like at this angle in foreshortening and it's like you know this and that there's like all these sort of artistic elements that people will immediately pick out if it looks too wrong and then I think also just making them look not generic. I think it's, I I always try to push myself to like make each character an individual. But if you're used to drawing like women a certain way or, or girls or whatever, boys, whatever it is, it's easy to just fall into that and just design everyone looking almost the same. So that is tricky on its own where like if you're drawing animals they kind of have their own variety and like fun little like quirks that you can add in um automatically but with people you kind of have to like push yourself to make uh, a human character design um like distinctive is there a part of the book you can share with us yes definitely i have it here i'm just gonna read the first like three pages uh, from the beginning so once a year On a Friday night, my family leaves the city and drives for hours and hours to a mountain in West Virginia. My mamma opens the door into the cool, dark night. Let me fix you a plate, she says. Mamma's midnight kitchen is warm and light, with blue tiles on the floor and cat plates on the wall. Mamma's morning kitchen is clean and bright, with sausage sizzling in the skillet, Blackberry jam on toast and tractors on cups. My papa drinks his coffee with cream but no sugar, and daddy does too. My dad and his dad, daddy and papa, with the same coffee cups. So that's the beginning of the section on um, my mamma's house in West Virginia. And you do give a very vivid sense of, um, of both places as they um, as they appear in the book. I'm curious about uh, one thing. Um, I, I sometimes ask people when uh, books come out what feedback they get, and I'm wondering since this is a, a book about your family, have you um, gotten any feedback uh, from members of your family? Uh, just <laughs> either in you know recognizing oh that's me or or just uh, anything like that. Any sort of feedback from your own family about the book? Yeah, um, I think my parents were the first ones that saw a very early version. Um, we're really close, and I show them a lot of my, like, works in progress as they're developing. And my mom saw it and was like, why did you make my hair that way? 
like she was like offended because I gave her this really short haircut that she'd never had in real life and it was like a character design choice I wanted her to stand out more from the little girl characters so I but I pushed it to her I was like it's like an Audrey Hepburn haircut like it's very chic pixie cut she's like okay that's fine then so um and I changed my dad's hair color and he was fine with that he never made a comment but I think they were a little surprised but on at the end of the day, they just love it. Like they, my sister was like, oh my God, how did you capture it? It's exactly like how it was. Like they were just so, like my mom cried. Well, she, first she was like, I'm not gonna cry. And then she cried. So it's very emotional because that house, like they moved out of that house and it doesn't really exist anymore. And the same with my other grandparents' houses. So it's like a way of memorializing these memories and these moments that can't really happen again. Almost like like looking at an old photograph of their former home. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people have picked up on that and they feel like there's like this nostalgic or like sad kind of undertone to it of that like uh, memory where you're like smiling, but you're also you know, kind of like sighing a little bit about it. Now, the book you picked as your own particular favorite uh, a book for children is also a picture book. Uh, it's uh, Angelina Ballerina, and it was written by Catherine Holabird and uh, illustrated by uh, Helen Craig. And the original book, which is the one we're talking about, is published in 1983. For those readers who may not have had a chance, even though this is a, uh, a fairly popular book, but haven't had a chance to pick up a copy and read Angelina Ballerini yet, can you talk a little bit of what this book is? Yes, it's a pretty simple story of a little mouse girl living in a, in a mouse world who is very distracted and kind of all over the place because she always is dancing instead of doing her chores and her homework. And then uh, one day her parents get her ballerina-like stuff, like shoes, and, and they get her in ballet lessons. And then she just loves dancing so much. And she kind of like turns around and, and becomes very focused and um, works on, hard on her ballet and, and becomes a famous ballerina at the end of the book. So... It's it's a ballet story. And when did you first come across this book? This book is so special to me. My dad actually used to read it to me every night. I think for like my entire age of like four and five, I, I must have heard it read to me like a hundred times at least. And um, at the time I wanted to be a ballerina like like Angelina and I was always like twirling around and like pretending that I was Angelina and like, jumping into things. And it's just probably one of the first picture books that I really like fell in love with. Well, it's interesting when I was reading it, uh, you know, it's about, you know, she's getting out of this trouble. At first, you think it's going to be a book about, you know, she's going to learn about responsibility, but it's not actually. It's about somebody who's dreaming about something, and then that gets to happen, uh, which is, uh, I thought, very nice. I appreciate it that it wasn't just going to be about she needs to, you know, um, you know, buckle down and, uh, and learn how to do things. No, she, she wanted to be a ballerina, and that's what she did. Yeah, I'm, it's actually funny because I was just rereading it today, and I had forgotten about the whole, like, ha you know, responsibility, like, sort of subplot that's happening at the beginning. And I guess as a kid, it just, like, went over my head. But 
in the book, it's like the mom is like really concerned, like Angelina, you'll never like sort of like get yourself together. And the dad is the one that buys her the ballet slippers. And it's like, no, she, our daughter is special. She's a dancer. She is doing her own thing and like encouraging her. And um, I think sometimes my parents had that dynamic where I don't think it was just like one or the other was like kind of both. I was very distracted and really always like singing and humming and not listening to people and like doodling and reading in my own world. And my parents, like, I think I had some teachers that were like, Elizabeth doesn't pay attention in class. She doesn't do like this and that, but they kind of had this sense that like I was doing what I should be doing, which is like reading and making stories. And they were never like that concerned about that. They were just like, you know, keep doing what you're doing and like, kind of always encouraged me to follow my dream until today. It's funny when I was reading the book, I was thinking this in some ways, this book is, is certainly a kid's book and they can, you know, you saw yourself in that, but it's also in some ways a book for parents just to remind them that they're, when their children have dreams about something, uh, let them pursue it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And especially a child that has like artistic dreams that um, if you give them a chance, they can actually surprise you and do so much more than you think. Now, it was interesting uh, when it was we first talked about, you know, what book you wanted to do. It was specifically mentioned about this uh, book, this one that was published in 1983. And, um, and apparently there are other versions of it. Can you talk specifically what it is about this version of Angelina Ballerina that's so special and how it differs from, I guess, um, other versions that have come out over the years. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the the version that exists today, I think Catherine Holabird, the original author, and Helen Craig, the original illustrator, they did do, um, it was, I think it was a pretty popular book right away. So they did do a series of, of sequels with the original character. So I'm not that familiar with those. And I think those are all right, but it became like a merchandise kind of brand somewhere in like the mid two thousands. And there's like, there are dolls, there's a, a animated, I think like Nickelodeon um, show. There are like these spinoff kind of like Angelina Ballerina brand, like books now. And I'm sure that they are wonderful and valuable for children that are reading them, but they're just, um, it's much more about like the princess and the ballet and the pink and tutu and sparkles, like sort of leaning into that. But the original book itself, like I was just looking at it earlier, it's very stripped down. It's the pink is like so subtle and a lot of it is just white, white space with like black lines and like very spare colors it's not about that it's a very quiet and like sort of simple story and it's much more about the kind of like passion for like your creative drive than about like the glamour of being a ballerina so I think the original has sort of a different feeling and a different tone that I I really like I'm not very good at explaining art, but as I'm, I'm thinking about the pictures, you know, and obviously there's still pictures, but there's a there's movement in them that you can sort of experience as you're going through the book. You know, you can f- feel there's movement going on with Angelina and these still pictures. And I don't know what it is that um, the illustrator did to create that or just how it's set up on the page. But do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. And I was just noticing that, too, um, looking at it earlier, like... 
the illustrator must have watched a lot of um, video reference, maybe, of dancers. And all of the characters have this very active body language and it's like really impressive even more that she did that with mouse characters because they're kind of like plump bodies and like little tiny arms and legs and even with those like limitations they're so expressive and like graceful in these poses like both being still or when she's dancing and um, I recently started dancing ballet as an adult and like the feet um, that she draws in the little ballet slippers are really accurate for how um, ballerina feet look when you're dancing well. So I think it's like a combination of careful observation and then just her style of like being able to have these like active and graceful um, poses. And I just, I just love it. And, and is that important, you think, for illustrations? Even if a person, like, I don't know much about ballet, but for the illustrator to do the research and to make things um, as, uh, you know, as accurate as possible, even if the people reading it and looking at it don't, you know, wouldn't be able to point out, though, that's right or that's not right, but uh, still getting uh, the accuracy is very important for bringing something to life. Yeah, I think so. I think as an illustrator myself, accuracy is really important in for a couple of reasons. First, like representation of of a certain community that you're not part of. So like if dancers seeing this, they might identify themselves in it and say like, oh, this is really true dancing. But also I think it helps to get in the mindset of the character and feel like yourself in a way like what it would be like to be a dancer that's just wiggling and so excited to just start like whenever I do a lot of research and and reference sort of you know consuming those things I'm trying to get in the mindset of the character and then when I go to draw it just like comes out so much more naturally than if I just sit and try to think like okay what would a dancer do I kind of like try to embody it and it helps the drawing a lot It, it takes a lot of work to make something look effortless in a way Oh, yeah, that's very true. I try to make my work look effortless all the time. And like, it's so hard. It's, it's shockingly hard. But if you have a good result, it will look and feel like automatic, like it was always supposed to look like that. But it's, yeah, it's really hard getting to that point. I'm also curious about one thing, and I don't even know if there's a good answer for this, but why do you think it's, it was important to have Angelina and her whole family in this world as mice? Uh, why is Angelina, why does it work for her to be a mouse as opposed to just a human child or I guess any other animal? Um, and I, I'm not really sure I could explain why why it works so well to have her a mouse. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because the... I read somewhere that the characters were not written to be mice. They were originally written to be like a little human girl. And the illustrator was the one that made the choice to make her a mouse. And then thereby like changing history forever, kind of. And I just love that energy as an illustrator of someone else's writing. That's like, this is my story. I was like, you know, the writer puts it out and is done with it. And then it becomes my story at that point to bring to it what I want to bring. And um, I think 
it makes it have this feeling like for me seeing all these little interiors I love the kitchens and um, living rooms and, and these little shops that are like mouse um, shops everything is like small and like kind of mouse themed and it has this feeling of like a like a like a dollhouse like looking into a dollhouse world where everything is just like tiny and precious and and just has this like different quality of being like timeless and being in this other world that just makes it special. So it's it's not so much that it has to be a mouse specifically, but maybe the illustrator just thinking or using their imagination and just imagining well if or maybe there were several different things that were tried out and then uh, the, the ones with mice for those reasons say just seem to work <laughs> particularly well. Uh, I don't know if that's your experience when you do different you've done like animals, just certain ones just seem to work in certain situations and others don't? Yeah, definitely. My first book was Geraldine. It was about a giraffe. And I started with that character and then wrote the story for her. But she was always going to be a giraffe because the book is about her not fitting into things. So my first drawings of her were her trying to be in like a school bus, like a human school bus or like other sort of like human scaled spaces. And her frustration came from just the world being the wrong scale for her. So in that way, like the book couldn't have been written about any other kind of animal, um, I think as well. So whenever I have an animal character, I... I kind of work backwards to see what kind of world do they need to live in um, based on their on their personality and kind of like what that um, particular like species sort of like brings about in, in the personality kind of. Uh, this is a, a question I usually ask about uh, when we're talking about picture books. Because I often think there's a value in, in in picture books for younger kids, but also sometimes for older kids or even I suggested adults as well. Do you think this is a book that might be uh, useful to use with older kids or even adults? And I kind of suggested that it might be useful for parents to read this just to, you know, to, as a different way of looking at their own children or even teachers, I suppose. Yeah, Angelina Ballerina. It works on both sides, I think, like we're talking about. I think writing for the adults that are going to read it is really important so that they can sort of get something out of it, too. They'll be reading it, the ones reading it over and over again, in some cases, like a 100 times. So hopefully it's appealing to them as well. And in terms of my book, I think it'll have different levels of meaning for different ages. So I think for really little kids, the text is pretty long and has some big words, so they might not totally follow every single thing, but it has this, like, I hope, like, jewel box kind of quality and, like, nighttime sort of quiet rhythm that's, like, soothing. So hopefully they'll just get more of a feeling from it. And then as the kids are a little older, maybe they can learn about some cultures that they or food that they didn't know about. And then for parents and adults, I hope it kind of helps them have a quiet moment to maybe think about their own past and meals that they've had with family that um, are so like special and, and important to, to think about. 
can be sort of a just sort of a, a way to start a conversation about different traditions people have or different special meals that people have because I mean most families have at least one sort of thing that's uh, important to them a thing they do or, or a particular meal or just even just one food that's important and just hearing what other people in sharing those sort of things uh, you get to see all these different things that are important in people's lives. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think especially while I was making the book, like I wanted to learn to make tostones and banana pudding and and like serve them with my own partner and my friends and kind of share with them in such a a physical and like present way, like part of my my past and my identity and myself kind of. So maybe some people, adults reading it, will go and want to make a recipe um, from someone in their life and share it with someone. Well, Elizabeth, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me uh, both about your own book, uh, Let Me Fix You a Plate, A Tale of Two Kitchens, and for talking to me about Angelina Ballerina. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun, and I'm so glad that um, we got to record this. You can find more information about Elizabeth Lilly at www.elizabeth-lilly.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Mm-hmm.